prayer. Um, I want to say thank you, Jesus, for your presence that's here this morning. I want to say thank you that you're with us, God. We don't have to strive, but you're already here. Thank you um, for everything that you've already done today. And God, I ask that you might move in power amongst us. And I pray that we'd experience um, the very real, active, living God today. Open up the heavens, Jesus, and pour out your spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this morning we're going to continue um, looking at Mark 5 together. Um, for those that weren't here last week, um, we started this one particular passage, Mark 5, 21 to 43. And in this one passage of scripture, there's two stories. Um, the story of Jairus who um, comes to Jesus and says, you know, come and heal my daughter. And then on their, their way to Jairus's house, we read of the story of the woman who'd been suffering with an issue of blood for 12 years. And she reaches for the hem of his garment and is healed instantly. So there's two stories within one passage. And so last week we looked at the woman um, who'd been suffering for 12 years. This week we're going to look at Jairus. And next week we're going to look at why these two stories were put together. Um, because everything's intentional. Does that make sense? So last week we looked at the woman um, who'd been suffering for 12 years. And how that wasn't just a physical he healing. It was... Jesus restoring her identity, bringing her back to life and giving her an, a name and a place in society. Talitha Coom, which little girl I say to get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Amazing story, isn't it? We don't know much about Jairus. 
But it is mentioned twice that he was a synagogue leader, which meant that he would oversee the worship services that took place in the synagogue. And um, one thing that's important to note is that earlier in this Gospel of Mark, we read that um, Jesus healed someone's hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So he was in the synagogue, he healed a man's hand, and it was on the Sabbath. And because it was on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders and the Pharisees, even then from that early point of Jesus' ministry, were plotting to kill him. That's what it says. That in Mark 3, that they saw that he healed on the Sabbath. How dare he? (laughs) Jokes. And um, they were plotting to kill him. Now, we don't know whether Jairus was part of that group of people plotting to kill Jesus, but we do know for sure that his peers wanted to kill Jesus. And yet here he is on, you know, absolute begging on his knees for Jesus to come heal his daughter. And this isn't the main thing that I want to talk about, but I just want to say, don't you think it's interesting that people don't Um, want Jesus until they need him. Don't you think that's interesting? Uh, People don't come to Jesus until they need him. And Jairus, we don't hear about him at all before, but here he is, and the original is that he's begging. He's begging on his knees, Jesus, come with me. Come heal my daughter. Um. You know, we don't, whilst we don't know much else about him, when we read this story, there's one thing that we can be confident in, and that is no matter what measure it might have been, Jairus did have faith. You're looking at me blankly, but he did, didn't he? (laughs) Jairus did have faith, you know, and he had faith to believe that Jesus was the answer. He had faith to believe that if he could reach Jesus, Jesus could heal his daughter. Now, we we don't know what measure of faith that was, but the Bible says that all you need is the size of a mustard seed, so it's pretty small. Um, But Jairus came and with what little faith he had, begged Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. I want to speak to you about faith. And I believe today that the Lord wants to pour out a gift of faith on your life. Are we ready to receive a gift of faith? Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The great like stories in history of miracles, signs and wonders do not start with someone who was riddled by doubt and cynicism. They start with people of faith. If you want to step out and see healings and miracles, signs and wonders, you have to walk in faith. But today I want to speak to you that faith is so much more than just what Jesus can do for you. It's who he is for you. That's what I want to speak to you about today. Okay, verse 22 to 23. It says... Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw, 
saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. When I was reading it this week, I thought it was really interesting that quite specifically Jairus says, I just need to point out as well, I said it at the first service, but it's just in my head. Whenever I read Jairus, I always think of Jairus. You are enough. <laughs> okay. It's just it's in my head. I just had to say it. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that Jairus specifically says, come and put your hand on her, that she will be healed and live. And I'd not seen that before. Usually people just come to Jesus and say, come with me, come heal, you know, my daughter or whatever. But this was quite specific. Come put your hand on her that she may be healed and live. And so this week I was trying to work out why and what does that mean? And I felt um, dropping my spirit. I felt this phrase that many seek my hand, but few seek my heart. Many seek my hand, but few seek my heart. You see, the hand of God is the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. You know, the hand of God is the God of the breakthrough. You know, that's the hand of God. And it's almost like we think faith is that, you know, believing for that. But very few seek the heart of God. When you read Mark's gospel, you see that, um, you know, the first demonstrations of Christ's power was when he um, delivered a man with an impure spirit. And then shortly after that, he went to the home of Simon, who was later Peter, and he healed his mother-in-law. And throughout, you know, the Gospels, you read time and time again that Jesus would perform these public acts of, you know, miracles and healings and demonstrations of his power and his authority. And that's, that's great, you know, we give thanks for that. But then you look at the disciples and the life that they lived where Jesus was their rabbi. So they lived close with Jesus, you know. They wanted to get as close to Jesus as they could because he was their rabbi. And for the disciples, yeah, they saw the healings and the miracles, the public demonstrations, but they also saw Jesus would sit with the outcast and the sinner. They also saw that he would have food with those that society rejected. They also saw that he would um, seek like solitary places to be with the Father. They saw that he was moved by compassion. You know, and while so many people saw his hand, the disciples saw his heart. Um. There is so much more to Jesus than simply what he can do for you. That's all great, but there's so much more to him than what he can do for you. It's who he is for you. When I was, you know, thinking about this point and, you know, just making sure it wasn't heretical, (laughs) um, I was just really thinking about it. And that day, I decided to go to Costa, as you do. If I'm honest, I just really wanted a piece of cake. Like, I was like, I need cake today. (laughs) 
So I went to Costa. And I was sat there and I was, I just felt the Lord speak to me and tell me to look back at my life. And so I was looking back at the times when I'd seen the hand of God. And you could do the same. You know, you could look back at the times when you saw God come through for you. The God of miracles, you know. And for me, I'm so blessed to be able to say it's happened quite a few times where I look back at my life and I see God came through for me. You know, usually it was financial provision. Um, When I was in the other church that I was in, Beeston, before I came here, um, I was way more stubborn then than I I am now. And I didn't want to go to my parents for, you know, financial help. I don't have that problem today. (laughs) Um, and I remember this one time I had literally no money left and I had this jar of coins that I kept you know when you put your loose change and I was like this jar here we go it's time so I poured out this jar of coins and I got 10 pound and I was like praise God I've got 10 pound and then the jar filled up again you don't seem as blown away by that as I was but um, basically God came for you for me you know and we've got these stories haven't we when we look back at our life and we can see the very tangible hand of God on our life where he came through on the 11th hour God came through and then I started to think about the times in my life where I've experienced the heart of Jesus and the heart of Jesus is his compassion for his people you know his mercy and I look back And I can remember those moments where in my utter brokenness, Christ came and met me there. And I can honestly say, whilst his hand blew me away, his heart transformed me. You know, his his hand was phenomenal, but his heart transformed me. And sometimes we seek only his hand that we forget to seek his heart. When you read the Old Testament, there's um, this one story in Exodus where the Israelites had just experienced like God on Mount Sinai in this remarkable way. And then a few chapters later, they're worshipping a golden calf. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, you've just seen the hand of God and now you're going to worship a golden calf, you know. The hand of God doesn't bring that lasting transformation, but the heart does. I believe that um, the hand of God is the doorway to his heart, which is why often if someone's got that office of evangelism, that comes with signs and wonders. You know, Hamish has got stories of being on the street and seeing people being healed it's the hand of God, you know, and it's the hand that compels people to the heart. It's the doorway to the heart. And, you know, we see that time and time again. Um, my friend, you might have remember seeing her. She sat here at the end. She's called Jess. Um, and I've been friends with her for like a decade. And, and she came to church because she'd seen the hand of God. And she sat down with me and she told me, you know, my friend's marriage is restored and they would say that's Jesus. And I was like, it's the hand of God. And then I told her my stories of how God came through for me, the hand of God. And she couldn't believe it. And I don't know if you remember this, but she was sat here. She's quite confident. 
And Simon, everyone was sat down, and Simon was at the front prophesying over someone at the back. Everyone sat down, and she like stood up and was like, <laughs> I was like, sit down right now. <laughs> You're embarrassing me. No, I didn't. Um, but she was so drawn in by the hand of God. And later after that, you know, she said to me, I've got this real peace about me. And I was like, it's the heart of God. You know, the hand led to his heart. Um, the interesting thing is that when you seek the hand of God, you know, the miracles, signs and wonders, you know, in his compassion, of course, you receive the hand of God. But if you seek his heart, you get his hand as well. When you seek the heart of Jesus, his compassion for his people, when you build your faith upon his faithfulness and his goodness and his love towards you, you will get his hand as well. So how do we do it? How do we seek the heart of God? Um, I think we need to learn to invite him into every season of your life. It's almost easier to seek Jesus in your valley. But what about when you're on your mountaintop? What happens then? You know, we must learn to seek Jesus in every season of our life, whether you're in the valley, on the mountaintop, somewhere in between, you know, learn to persistently pursue his heart in every season of your life. And when you do that, you also learn to invite him into every situation of your life. Jesus won't go where you haven't invited him. And so we must learn in our like ordinary day-to-day -day life to invite, you know, the most profound God into those places. With your finances, you know, Jesus, what's your heart for my finances? With your relationships, you know, Jesus, what's your heart for my relationships? In your family, what's your heart for my family, Jesus? And as you learn to pursue his heart in every season and situation of your life, you'll find his hand too. As you pursue his heart in every season, you'll find his hand in every season. Such is the goodness and compassion of Jesus. And I think that when you pursue the heart of Jesus, it's like you become like him. And that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? To become like Jesus. And there's this verse that says, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And that's, you know, when, when you seek Jesus and when you seek what he wants, you take on what he wants. You know, your heart is his heart. His desires are your desires. And you live in this unionship with Jesus. And for me, relationship with Christ is like this heavenly dance, you know, where he's like leading you through life. And it doesn't mean it's easy, but he's leading you through life and you learn what he actually wants for you. You learn his heart, you learn his intentions, you learn his voice, you, you learn what he sounds like, you know. That's how we're called to live. And faith is so much more than seeking what he can do for you. It's actually learning to build your life on who he is for you. And today, Jesus is your companion, your friend. He is loyal, he is faithful. You don't seem too happy about that, truth be told. <laughs> Shall anyone want to give a little amen to that? Yeah. 
Okay, we're in the room, we're back, okay. Um, okay, by faith, seek his heart, not just his hand. Amen. Okay, my second point is, by faith, wait for the on-time God. I love this one. When I read this story of Jairus, I see that there was a lot of waiting involved. Um, you know, so he came, crowds of people, and he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he begged him, come with me, come with me. And then there's this heavenly interruption with this woman. And Jesus stops, looks for this woman who just touched the hem of his garment. She comes forward, she tells his story, her story of what's happened. And then he speaks something over to her. And all the while, Jairus is stood there thinking, come on, Jesus. All right, my daughter, come on, Jesus. And whilst Jesus is speaking to this woman, a, a crowd of people come to Jairus and say, it's over. Like, it's done. It's done. You, your daughter's died. Don't bother him anymore, is what they say. Don't bother the teacher anymore. She's died. And Jairus is stood there thinking, what on earth? And then Jesus speaks to him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And so when you look at that story, you see that whilst, whilst it might have been minutes, it probably felt like hours, and that there was a lot of waiting involved. And in all of our lives, at some point, if you haven't experienced it yet, I think the Lord will take you through a waiting period. And I think it's really good for us. It's hard, I'm not saying it's easy, but I think it's good for us. When you read um, like the Old Testament, you know, you read the story of Abraham and Sarah, where God promised many descendants to Abraham, and he had to wait years and years for that to come to pass. You know, Sarah laughed, didn't she, when someone said, you'll have a child. She laughed. And then there's Hannah, who was desperate for a child and had to wait a long time um, for God to come through for her. The Bible is full of seasons of waiting. Nobody likes it, but it seems to be quite a repetitive pattern throughout our lives that quite often people will be found waiting and when you're waiting, you know, and this might be you, maybe God's spoken something to you, a promise to you, and you've not yet seen it come to pass. Maybe this is you. Maybe God's spoken something quite specific and you've not seen it come to pass yet. If that's you, there's two options when it comes to waiting. You either walk away or you press in. You walk away or you press in. And when Jairus was stood there, and the crowds of people came and said, she's died. Just leave the teacher alone. He had every chance and option of walking away right there and then. But if it had walked away, it had missed the promise. Um, I was chatting with someone um, this week, and they were telling me that that they had this revelation, God said to them, what was the first question in the Bible? And the first question in the Bible was the serpent saying to Eve, did God really say not to eat from this tree? Did God really say that? That's the first question in the Bible. Did God really say that? 
And it's a question of doubt, isn't it? It's a question of doubt. Did God really say? And if you're waiting today, and if you find yourself, and it is a very vulnerable position to be in, where you're holding on to a promise that you've not yet seen to, like, come to pass, and the reality is not aligning with the word that God has spoken, if you find yourself there today, your biggest enemy is doubt. And doubt suffocates faith. And so Jairus could easily have just walked away. Reality was presented to him. His daughter had died. You know, he could have easily gone, okay, you know, this is it, okay, you know, and walked away. But if he walked away, he'd have missed the miracle that was waiting for him. His miracle was waiting for him. So the other option, if you don't walk away, what do you do? You press into Jesus. You lean in to Jesus. Um, when I found myself in this like waiting season, which is my own fault because I said to God, um, I said, God, I did not wait well. Give me another opportunity to wait. You're laughing because you know it's a ridiculous prayer. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's like when you ask God to make you patient, isn't it? And he puts you in lots of situations that really test your patience. Anyway, and during that season of my life where I was just waiting, because God spoke something to me, you see, and I just had to wait. And during that season, he gave me one scripture, and it was Psalm 37, verse 7. And it says, um, be still wait for the Lord and patiently lean yourself upon him. Be still, wait for the Lord and patiently lean yourself upon him. And that is genuinely what you have to do. Patiently lean yourself upon him. And when you lean upon the Lord, I find that your flesh just rots away and your spirit becomes a bit more alive. When you lean on the Lord, you depend wholeheartedly on him. What you're depending on is his goodness and his faithfulness. What you're leaning upon is this truth that every word he speaks does not return void. What you're really pressing into is the truth that anyone who hopes in the Lord will never be put to shame. And so if you find yourself waiting today for the Lord to come through for you, there really is only one option, and that is to lean in upon him, like press against him, hold on to the word, you know. And it's a very vulnerable position to be in because when you look around, you don't see that promise. But if Jesus spoke it, it will come to pass. His promises are yes and amen. When you lean into Jesus, you become confident in his timing. Which is why I've titled this point, The On-Time God. Because the last few um, days I've been wake. You know when you wake up with a song in your head? Yeah, I usually take that as Jesus speaking to me. Because it's always worship. It's not like... Britney Spears or anything. <laughs> Britney Spears. Um, uh, it's always worship music, you know. And the last Britney Spears, I don't listen to Britney Spears, guys, just to clarify. 
<laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, but the last um, few days, and it happened again today, the Lord woke me up with this song called On Time God. On Time God. And I just feel like God's like, I'm not rushed. I'm not late. I'm on time. And when you look at this story, there would have been people there that thought Jesus is late. You know, they'd have looked and thought, you're late, Jesus. You missed it. Oh, Jesus is never late. He's never late. He's not dictated by time like we are. You know, we're going, oh, come on, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus don't work like that. You know, his time is not our time. He is never late. He's an on-time God. And every promise that he's spoken to you will come to pass in his timing. He's on time. He's on time. If you do find yourself waiting, please just lean on the Lord. Lean on the Lord. And I believe that every season that you find yourself in, as long as you're alive, I believe that the Lord wants to speak something to you and you have to press in to find out what that is. There's just one more thing about this, this point. Um, and that is when Jesus got to the home of Jairus. Jairus. <laughs> when he got to the home of Jairus, um, there was lots of commotion and wailing and um, Jesus said, you know, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed at him. And so what did Jesus do? He kicked him out. Yeah. He kicked him out. I know, crazy. <laughs> and it says that he took Peter, James and John and the mother and father to where the child was. He kicked everyone else out. I love Jesus, don't you? He's good, isn't he? Isn't he good? And I think he did that because he didn't want doubters in the room. He didn't want cynics in the room. That room was full of, like, faith-filled people. And whether it was small faith or great faith, people were there waiting for Jesus to move. And so he kicked the doubters out, and he kicked the cynics out, and he just took those closest to him and said, here we go. And the point is that if you're waiting, you have to be so careful with who you share your story with. Because your circle is crucial at this point. You know, if you're um, holding out for a promise from God and you've got, you know, someone, Joe Bloggs, saying, you know, it's not going to work. It's not, it's not happening. Have you seen what's happening in reality? Have you tried this instead? You know, if that happens, then you'll be tempted to walk away from the promise and instead create your own, which is what happened with Abraham and Sarah, wasn't it? You know, she created a, a new way out of the situation. If you don't find yourself waiting, you get the opportunity to be a faith-filled person for someone else. Because like I said, when you find yourself waiting, you're in an incredibly vulnerable position. And what you really need is someone to come alongside of you to say, keep going, keep holding out for the promise. His promise is a yes and amen. You need someone to keep speaking scripture over, to, over your life. You need someone to say, actually, it's coming. Like he's never late. He's on time. And you get to be that person for someone else. Your circle is crucial, and who you share your story with is really, really important. So who are you surrounding yourself with? 
Is it with the doubters and the cynic or is it with the faith-filled people that are going to hold you up when you feel down? Like I said, you know, the enemy is doubt at this point for you and you need to eradicate that from your life. And so to do that, you have to be really careful about who you share your story with because your circle's crucial. Jesus is never late, Amen. He's on time, and it's time that we just actually believe that his, you know, time and he's perfect for our life. Okay, my third point. One of these days, I'm going to do four points and just floor you all. You'll be so surprised, won't you? Not today, though. You'll be pleased. <laughs> okay, my third point is by faith, let him lead you beyond the parameters of your life. Okay, verse 42. It says, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And I just believe that the closer you get to the heart of Jesus, the wider the parameters of your life become. Did that make sense? I don't think it did. The more you pursue him and long for him, The closer you get to Jesus, it's like the capacity of your heart to experience him grows bigger and bigger. It's like the more you get get close to him, the more you're able to behold him. And the wider the parameters of your life become. I don't know about you, but I desire to see more of God. I desire to, as long as I'm here, you know, I want to know Jesus and I want to know him well. You know, I want to know what he would say, what he would do. I want to know Jesus and I want to love him with all of my heart. And so when you get closer to Jesus, you're able to have the capacity to take on all that he wants to pour out in your life. In Mark 4, there's this story where Jesus is telling a crowd of people about the parable of the mustard seed. And right at the end, in verse 34, it says, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. The secrets of the kingdom were revealed to those who were closest to Jesus. And so proximity to Christ is everything. If you want to experience the immeasurably more of God, then you have to stand close enough for him to whisper his heart to you. Because Christ doesn't shout. And a lot of us would like it. If you could grab a megaphone, that would be great. But he doesn't. Jesus whispers the secrets of the kingdom because he wants you close enough to be able to hear it. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. You might have been doing this Christian walk for a long time and it's easy to get to this point where you think you know stuff, you know. And you probably do. But I just want to say that as long as you're here on earth, I think there's more to experience. I don't feel like it's done yet. There's so much more to Jesus than what you might first think. And so get close enough that he might share his heart with you. For Jairus, you know, when he got 
close to Jesus, when he saw this miracle, the parameters of his parameters of his life just expanded so much because he'd just seen that with Jesus death does not exist like he'd just seen that Jesus had power over death death which was considered the end was the end no more because with Jesus there is life like he was stood watching Jesus literally raise a girl from the dead and he was like There is life in Jesus. And I think that the closer you get to Jesus, the more real heaven becomes. We were made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person. Heaven is the place. Um, I've got friends that are Christians, and um, one of the girls said to me once, you know, when you die, you know where you're going. She was quite aggressive. And I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) And she said, but for me, this is it. She didn't have any desire to change her opinion, but she was stating to me that for her, when she dies, that's it. The parameters of her life became really small. When I was in um, Beeston, in this other church, um, I was speaking to this young boy called Harry. He's got additional needs. So he was 13, but in his mind, he was about six. And I said to him, um, Harry, his parents were Christians. I said, Harry, did you know that with Jesus, you can live forever? And he was like, forever? And I said, yep, forever. And he was like, forever? This went on for about two minutes. And I was like, yes, forever, Harry. <laughs> And he couldn't believe it. And he said to me, why has no one told me that before? For Harry, you know, the parameters of his life just became so much wider and greater and bigger. Because he realized that with Jesus, there is no end. There is no end. Everlasting life with Jesus. Heaven is real. And if you believe in Jesus today, that is where you are going. Heaven is your final destination. And Jesus is the person who occupies heaven. And he is here today and he's calling you closer. Because as long as you're here on earth, I believe he wants to bring heaven to you. He wants to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to you, to me. (laughs) To you, to me, (laughs) to me, to you, (laughs) chuckle vision. (laughs) As long as you're here, Jesus wants to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to you. So are we actually by faith pressing closer to Jesus to experience that? Because if this life is just about the mundane and the ordinary, then I'm very disappointed. But there is so much more to life than just right now. It's Jesus, it's his glory and his majesty. And if you want to see all of that, and if you want to behold Jesus in all his glory, then by faith, press towards him. Seek his heart, not just his hand. Wait for the on-time God. He's never, ever late. Faith is so much more than what he can do for you. That's great, but... Actually, that's not the foundation of your faith. The foundation of your faith is that he loves you. He's got compassion for you. And he wants to meet you where you are. Shall we pray together?
Yeah, Jesus, I want to say thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence, God. And I pray, Jesus, where there's any sort of doubt in our lives and in our hearts, that you might eradicate that right now, Jesus. And I pray that you might pour out a gift of faith. Pour out a gift of faith, Jesus. That we might know you and realize that we've been known by you this whole time. I pray, Jesus, that you would show us, you know, the wonders of your glory. God, we choose in this moment to be pursuers of your heart, not just pursuers of your hand, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week, everyone.